When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel battery tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, save on select steel battery tools. Right now, save $50 on the FSA 57 battery trimmer set. Real steel. Find yours at steeldealers.com. With AK-10 battery and AL-101 charger, offer valid for limited time only while supplies last. See participating dealer for details. It's time to get inside the Giants huddle. Huddle up, huddle up, huddle up. On Giants.com. Here we go, here we go. And the Giants mobile Get them in there, let's go. Part of the Giants podcast network. All right, welcome to another edition of a Giants huddle podcast brought to you by PSENG. Energy efficiency for game time and anytime. Visit PSEG.com slash Giants for discounts, rebates, and home energy assessments. Today, we complete our NFL Network draft analyst bingo card. We're joined by Bucky Brooks. We've already had Daniel Jeremiah. We had your man, Rhett Lewis. We even had Charles Davis. We had Symphony Freeland. The whole Pats of the Draft crew has been on, and now we get the best for last high school coaching legend and former NFL scout, Bucky Brooks. Bucky, how are you, man? Man, I am great. How are you guys doing? We're doing great, and don't worry. Rick gave us all the down low on the Indiana prospects. You don't have to worry about it. <laughs> I'm sure. I'm sure he has them all. He has them all dialed in. Uh, he, he was locked and loaded. All right, so talk to me about this. Former scout. You're in your this week and this weekend, you're kind of in your final meetings with your coaching staff, the rest of your front office, getting your draft board set. How much of this for you was trying to convince the coaching staff to get on board with some of the players that you really liked after your draft process was complete? Well, I mean, I I think you always have a handful of guys that you really are willing to stand on the table uh, for. Like you, you pound the table for those guys because you really believe in what they can do and how they can enhance and upgrade your team. But a lot of it is trying to make sure that collectively as a unit, we get it right. And so a lot of that requires everybody to put their ego to the side and try and make decisions that are best for the team. So when we talk about these guys, like try to really bring up their strengths, their weaknesses, try to really accurately project how they're going to fit into the locker room and how they can fit into the scheme and those things. And sometimes you have to back down because, you know, like in the end of it, like, is it really worth me going this hard for this player? Is he really a great fit or would we be better served to look elsewhere? Um, you know, you have to have some of those hard conversations, but hopefully the unit is intact as a scouting staff where everyone is committed just to get it right and not doing things just to make yourself look good. Yeah. Bucky, I'm sure you've seen situations too, where the front office says we're drafting this guy, the position coach or the head coach maybe doesn't want him. And then even though the player is good and he should succeed in the league, he doesn't because the coach is never on board. Right. Yeah, everybody needs to be in lockstep. Like, hopefully what you have is alignment in the organization from top to bottom. Front office and coaches, staff are on the same page. They see the game through the same vision. And when a player is drafted, there is a plan in place for every player to develop and see if you can maximize their potential. And so that's why it's really important that you have a great cooperation between your coaching staff and your scouting staff. Because as scouts, you don't want to give coaches players that they don't want to coach. And as um, coaches, you want to make sure that there's some reverence for what the scouting staff is saying 
because they have done a lot of the legwork when it comes to evaluating the players and going through the process. And Joe Shane has talked, uh, Bucky, about how he's kind of learned the type of players that Wink Martindale wants on defense. He was already familiar with Dable from his time in Buffalo. They were kind mm-hmm. of on the same page, but he's learned what Wink wants. So I guess this is a good place to start. It's a good segue. Wink wants to play press man outside, right? That's what he wants mm-hmm. to do. For you, when you're looking for traits for cornerbacks, what are you looking for when you're trying to fit a corner into that scheme? And with the Giants at 25, I think we can throw out Witherspoon, throw out Gonzalez, throw out mm-hmm. uh, Porter. Who are some of the guys that you might like that could be available at 25 that fit those traits that you would want to put in there into a press man scheme? Okay, so press man, uh, you're looking for guys who are long. Preferably, you want guys that are 5'10 and a half or taller. Uh, you would like them to be 5'11. If you can find six foot or taller, it's great. Because that length helps you not only at the line of scrimmage, it helps you down the line. When the ball is in the air, you fight for those 50-50 balls with some of the big receivers down the field. Uh, you would like a taller guy who has that athleticism. So you want to pay attention to the length. You want to pay attention to the vertical jump uh, because that matters. We talk about expanding and negating the strike zone. Those guys can do that. Um, the thing about like big corners, which are different than smaller corners, so your big corners are like six one, six two. They're different when it comes to moving around than guys that are 5'10 or shorter. Yep. So you can be okay with a guy that is a little stiffer, more straight line, because what you're asking them to do is to play nose-to-nose the entire game. Um, and so from a mental standpoint, they need to be competitors. They have to be competitors, and they have to have a level of toughness that's not just a physical toughness, but mentally. Because when you play as much man-to-man as Wink wants to play, your ability to bounce back from giving up completions, giving up touchdowns, being thrown at down after down after down, it takes a different mentality to be able to hold up and weather that barrage. And so when I think of some of the players that could be available, um, naturally, uh, Keely Ringo from Georgia will be in a conversation. Deontay Banks from Maryland will be in that conversation. I love the player, but I think he may be too slender to take a, be taken in the first round. Emmanuel Forbes. Uh, he has some really good skills. He's probably better from off than up. Um, Cam Smith from South Carolina could be in the conversation. Like you're getting into these guys that are kind of friends. I mean, look, when you're picking 25th, you're picking like borderline first round, second round type player. And so a lot of it is fit. What is the, what does Wink want on the edge? And we saw last year worked out and there was kind of a, a revolving door of players playing in that secondary. Uh, now that he's been there, they've had success. He'll be able to kind of get more more of his guys. Yeah, a great segue, Buck, because I think, you know, we have to do these mock drafts here. I know you have to do them too. They're paying the butt, but everyone loves them. You got to do them, right? Mm-hmm. At what point do you get in this first round when you're sitting there and you're trying to give a player to a team and assign them, and you're like, boy, I really don't feel like this is a first-round player, but he's the best player left. What's kind of been your cutoff point with with your exercise doing this where you're starting to feel like, Boy, I, I wish I could trade down here if I could, but we're not playing that game with Mox, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say like this. So, so like the general question, the way that you attack it is, I think there are about 15 to 18 first-round talents in the draft. Yep. Um, once you get past like 18, you're dealing with second-round players. And there's that's no disrespect to this class. That's kind of where it lines up. Sure. There's not the high end uh blue chip player that we're normally used to seeing, like the transcendent starter, everyone could point to him and be like, this guy's the Miles Gary. This guy's the Julius Peppers. This guy's the certified star that we know is going to come in and take over. And so there are a lot of really, really good players. I don't know if there are any great players. And so 
the big thing that you have to do when you're the Giants or a team is you got to go to the to the draft with a handful of criteria that you're looking for in terms of the players that you want to add. And then you're hoping that those guys check off the boxes, not only from a playing standpoint, but from an intangible standpoint, and then go that route. But it's going to be a very difficult draft for a lot of people because so many different players have similar grades, but kind of fall into that, that, that second, that day two category, but they're not enough day one guys for all of them to go. I mean, like it'd be, it'd be quick, a quick run on those first round players. Yeah. I was trying, I was going through my board today and I'm like, God picks 20 to 38 on players, 20 to 30 out of my board. They're kind of, they're all neck and neck. And then you're talking about fit and need position value, all that stuff. So I guess then when you talk strategy, you're picking 25, you're probably going to get a second round player. Is this the draft buck where you try to maybe take a shot on traits at a more premium position? Or is if you're in this position, making the pick, do you say, look, line drive, double to the gap, pick my starting center for the next eight years. He might not be a pro bowler, but I know he's going to start. How would you approach it from uh, just a strategy and, and tactical standpoint? I mean, it's kind of like what you just said, like um, playing baseball. I'm assuming since you were the Giants, so you're probably a Yankees fan. Like I am, yes. Is you want to put it, you want to put it right in the gap. You want to have a stand-up double, and you can be okay with that because you can win a lot of games like that. Um, it is really important when you're looking at that. It's funny that you bring up center because, yes, the Giants could. Everyone will mock and speculate all these sexy positions, but if you go and get a center that plays for 10 years, there's nothing wrong with that. And so the way – you have to understand like when it comes to drafting, when people talk about first round and second round, that that borderline first round, second round player is a guy that you're viewing as a solid starter. He's going to come in. He's going to be a solid starter for your team for the next five or so years. That's how you project them. So that's where you're at. And so when you win, like the Giants were able to win last year and go into the playoffs, that's how you kind of have to pick. So if they can continue to ac- accumulate a bunch of solid starters, the team will be fine. But that's what you're looking at at the bottom of first round. There seems to be some disagreement in the draft community. Is Schmitz the top center? Is it Tittman? I got to be honest. I watched Steve Avila's center tape from 2021 late last week, and I thought it was really, really good, to be quite honest with you. He's got position flex. Where do you stand on the top of the center class? Who do you like the best? You know, it's funny because there's so many good guys. Like, it's it's really, like, um, it's really remarkable to see, like, how the position is this year. You talked about Schmitz. You talked about Tittman. Um, you can talk about Whiffler from Ohio State. Like, there are a lot of guys that can play. And then you talk about Avila from TCU being able to kind of bounce around and play. Most of the guys that play center, you also expect them to play guard because being a swing player is kind of part of the deal when you play on the interior. Um, I think the big thing is, like, look, people have talked about uh, Tittman from Wisconsin being there. I can see him there because he's going to be well-coached coming from Wisconsin, the reputation for producing offensive linemen. Look, speaks for itself. Uh, he's tough. He's physical. He has a great IQ. Yeah, he's a good player, but there's some other good players at the position. So I don't know if the Giants can go wrong taking a solid position player at center at the bottom of the first round. A lot of people want to give the Giants a wide receiver buck, and I think maybe there's, you know, I'm not sure there's a quote-unquote number one wide receiver in this draft class, however you want to label him. Mm-hmm. Um but the Giants have a bunch of slot guys already, right? They drafted Wanda Robinson last year, coming off the injury still. Paris Campbell, slot guy. Uh, Jameson Crowder, slot guy. Go down, Sterling Shepard, slot guy. Mm-hmm. 
if you're looking for an outside receiver, and I'm going to take Quentin Johnson out of it because I think that's kind of the easy one, right? Which mm-hmm. one of these smaller, lighter guys do you think can have success outside of the, you know, the Addisons, the Flowers, the Downs, the Mims, you know, kind of guys in that category? Which one of those guys do you think you can put outside, even if maybe their physical traits don't scream that? Um, it'll be tough because we're talking about in the first round. So the guys you're talking about are like a Jalen Hyatt, right, from Tennessee, but he's only 175 yep, pounds. Yep. But the speed is real. Um, unbelievable speed and quickness. We saw him tear up some top defenses in the SEC. You go all the way back to his high school career. He he scored 50-plus touchdowns and did all kinds of things with the ball in his hands. And so he's a legitimate one, but he's 175 pounds. And I'll say this, playing in New York, and that weather with the wind, hard for smaller guys to have success. I, I I just believe it's harder for smaller guys to have success just because when it gets cold and you get banged around and you got to body catch it, you got to have something to it. So I'm more of the big body type. And if you go mm-hmm. back and you look throughout the years, typically most of the Giants' success of late has been with the bigger receivers more so than the smaller guys, even though like Odell's more average side. But like, most time you think about the big receivers when yeah, they had classical bars, Hakeem Nicks. Yeah, yep. like big physical guys that can do it because it slows down. And sometimes speed guys in cold weather, they're not as fast. <laughs> like you put all the layers on, you're not as fast as you were in your track shorts. That's interesting. What what traits do you look for for a guy to be able to win outside consistently? Um <clears throat> So it, it, it's different. So we talk about the category. So you talk about a number one receiver, and it's easy to break it down like, like that. A number one receiver typically is not your fastest guy. He's your guy who has great stop-start quickness. He has the ability to sit down and separate. He can run all the routes. He can get open. He's more the chain mover than the explosive big play guy. Um, he has enough speed to get over the top, but you're looking for guys who can win versus press but they have a superpower about them, whether that's their physicality and strength, whether that's their a sudden acceleration. They have something that enables them to consistently win against all like all comers. Double think, I, I would say just stuff. think DeAndre Hopkins, Devontae Adams, right? Like those type of guys, right? Devontae Adams, yes. Yeah. Not fast, but they find a way to do it. Even go back. Like, let's think about it. Like when Victor Cruz and OBJ were there, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, before Vic's injuries, Vic had all that wiggle and stuff to create separation and get open. OBJ had flash, but he also could run routes and do those things or whatever. And so a lot of that is you're looking for the guy who can do that. As the off, as the wide receiver room is presently constructed, you need someone, I would say, that's bigger. I would skew towards, hey, maybe we don't get it in the first round, but maybe we look in the second and third round and see if we can find the big guy who might be a little slower, but he can do some of the dirty work over the middle of the field. He can expand the strike zone for Daniel Jones and, and do some of that stuff. So wouldn't cast my eyes necessarily on a wide receiver early. Maybe we focus on day two. That's when the the productive chain moving wide receiver comes and does a lot of the dirty work that is really needed for your team to win at a high level. Bucky, I happen to agree with you. I'm going to throw a couple of those types of guys' names out to you. Let me know which ones you like and why. I think Jonathan Mingo has some of those traits you're talking about, right? Yeah. A.T. Yes. Perry is one of those guys, and I think Cedric Tillman. Those are kind of the three guys mm-hmm. that I think kind of fit that category on day two. Your thoughts on those three? No, like, like it's funny because all of them have the common denominator. They all are physical. They all do a good job of winning 50-50 balls. Uh, they have a ruggedness to their game that you have to have. Uh, Tillman is one that certainly stands out because he's had big games 
against good competition. And uh, back in the day, Tennessee used to be known as wide receiver U. That moniker has since been stolen by a few different teams, but um, he's well-schooled, and he's the one that is really, really crafty. And once you get past, like, the injury history and that, that kind of slowed him down this season, he's productive, man. Same thing with Mingo. Like, very productive players that are very, very comfortable in that complimentary role. That, to me, is what the Giants need. The one thing I would say that Dayball did the, the by committee, the share, the wealth, the share, the ball thing kind of works. It kind of fits the identity. When the Giants have been at their best throughout history, it's never been a one-man show on the perimeter. It's traditionally been a very balanced, diverse set of contributors making plays. And so I think that's kind of like the recipe and the formula that works there. Yeah, 100%. I'm intrigued a little bit by these back-of-the-first-round edge players that could be there, Buck, because I think – Given the depth of the class, that's where you might get the best player and the best value, even though the Giants already have Ojolari and Thibodeau, and that's fine. You know, guys like Aziz's brother, B.J. Ojolari, guys like Will McDonald, you know, yeah. I think those are probably the better 3-4 fit that Wink plays than those kind of bigger Keon White types. Who, what do you think fits in Wink's system that could be available there at the end of the first round? No, I think you touched on it. Uh, B.J. Ojolari will certainly be there. Like, he probably is – more of a second-round player. Like, it's funny because we'll just talk about him and not necessarily worry about where the Giants are picking. Will McDonald is another guy that can kind of play there, play off the edge, make things happen. Uh, I want to tear his name up. We just call him FAU from K-State. People can look it up. Felix <laughs> Anaduke Uzama. Yeah, he's he's a guy who can certainly um, give you some of that, that, that pass rushing presence uh, off the edge. It is – so funny and so critical now because everyone is playing some version of the three, four. You used to have kind of like the market cornered on those light undersized speed rushing guys. Uh, it's a little different now, but yeah, I think you need, you can never have enough of that. And let's be honest, when you're building your team, you're building it to win a division. You look at the success that the Philadelphia Eagles had with what eight, nine, 10 guys rotating on the front line. If you're the Giants, you want to have that because you also want to throw bodies upon bodies at Jalen Hurts and those quarterbacks because that's the most important thing. If you can knock the quarterback down with fresh pass rushes, eventually good things happen. Who are some of the day two or even day three guys, Bucky, that you think you might be a little bit higher on than other people that you would if you were still having your scouting hat on, patting the table on in the draft room for? Any position or... Yeah, go go anywhere you want. Just guys that you love. So it's, it's funny because you're talking about like corners and those things. So there's a corner from Utah named Clark Phillips who is um, really intriguing because he's a guy who has six interceptions, six interceptions, plays really hard, is really good job on the outside or inside. To me, he's kind of like that combo nickel outside corner that can play. He's really, really intriguing. I would say at safety, Sidney Brown from Illinois is intriguing. I know you, you lose Julian Love, and so you're looking for that versatile playmaker that can come and fill multiple roles. Yeah, very Sydney similar. Brown, yeah, Cindy Brown comes down, can play in the box, can do a bunch of different things. Um, those guys are intriguing. And I know the Giants feel good about their tight end situation. But when I think about, like, uh, Daniel Jones and how you can continue to help him, more tight ends, more bodies. Tucker Craft from South Dakota State is one. Sam Laporta from Iowa. Love Laporta. The tight end class is outstanding. I would get a tight end. Absolutely. All right. Final question, Buck, and you can hear all this great insight on Pat to the Draft and NFL Network. NFL Network have coverage of the draft uh, that Thursday through Saturday as well. You and DJ talk, Daniel Jeremiah, talk a lot about team building on the Move the Sticks podcast, which is required listening mm -hmm. for anybody that loves this stuff. 
I always get fans that write in or they call on our call-in show here on Giants.com, and they say, oh, first round, I want a wide receiver. Second round, I want an offensive lineman, et cetera, et cetera. I always say, guys, look, you don't pick positions, you pick players, right? Mm-hmm. And you don't always have – you're not drafting for this year. Can you just talk about you know, the strategy behind drafting for the future, looking at your contracts on your roster years mm-hmm. in advance – to anticipate holes, to fill them. I think the Eagles, you mentioned them. They do a great job of that, right? Nicobe Dean, Cam Jurgens, they're going to slide yeah. into play now. Uh, yeah. Just kind of talk about, from a team building perspective, how you can use the draft in different ways rather than just, oh, we need a center. Let's go draft one of those. Uh, I think it's really important to understand where you are as a team. And I will say this because they're not my philosophies. I would say, like, being around Ron Wolf up in Green Bay, first as a player and then working under a bunch of his disciples or guys that he mentored uh he always talked about you can never go wrong taking good players and so if you just keep it as simple as like let's just take good players good football players guys that are really good that were really good in college uh he was one that was more guys from big schools because you've seen him do it on the biggest and brightest stages you can't go wrong there and so if you think about the draft as how can i make my team better sometimes it means building strength on strength i would rather have a great player at a position where we're already loaded then reach for a player at a position of need because what happens is two years later, you're going to need to go back and get that same position. Um, And so as you're looking at the total of the draft, it's not just the first round because we spend so much time talking about mock drafts in the first round, but it's if we walk away with these combination of players at the end of day two, we feel great about our team. And so sometimes it's looking at supply and demand. Okay. Well, there are a ton of, Say there are a ton of wide receivers, but there are a handful of offensive tackles. Let's get the offensive tackle first because we're going to take the best of the bunch. Then we can come back and get the wide receiver. And so everything works together. It's not only the draft, but it's free agency in terms of NFL free agency. When you assess where your team is strong or weak, okay, which one provides us with the vehicle to be able to attack the areas of need? You use both of those vehicles to be able to do it. And then you're always hunting to add pieces to the puzzle throughout the year. You know, Buck, just to follow up very quickly, you mentioned before, round two, you want to get an average, a guy that will plug and be a good average starter, right? When you get to day three and you're worried about backups, right? Maybe guys mm-hmm. with the potential that can move up, special teams guys. At that point, do you completely crumple up and throw away need? And you're like, look, I think this guy can become something. We're going to pick him. And if he's good enough, he'll figure out a way to get him on the field. What's kind yeah. of your day three strategy when you put your board together? Is it more need? Is it traits? What what are you keying in on day three when you're not going to have a plug and play starter available in rounds four through seven? Yeah, no, it's funny. Um, having worked with Joe Shane for a bunch of years, like he he probably would say the same thing. So look, everyone talks about the draft day one, man. You got to get you have to get starters. Day two should be developmental starters. They should be starting by year two. Um, third round is very similar. They should be developing the starters by the middle of year two. When you get to the fourth round or lower, uh, day three. Those guys are developmental guys. And so what you're looking for are redeeming qualities. You're looking for uh, height, weight, speed. You're looking for production. Uh, You may be looking at guys who are super productive with all the traits, but then there's a medical history. They may be super productive and really good players, but there may be a character issue that forces you to ding them a little bit. Um, At the end of the day, on day three, man, you're looking for those guys who check off the boxes in a couple of different areas. And you're hoping that those redeeming qualities will give them a chance to be successful in the league. And so you've kind of hit the nail on the head when it comes to it. On day three, man, you may throw a little, a couple of darts up there based on traits and those things. 
but no one is counting on the fifth round guy to come in and fill an immediate need. If it happens, that's gravy. That's kind of a bonus, but no one is counting on the sixth or the seventh round guy. He's going to come in. He's going to be our starting whatever. If he develops to that, like that's a bonus pick, but you have to nail the first three rounds. Anything that you get beyond that, that is on scouting and development and the players on desire to be a good player. Yeah, and Bucky, I know you have no control over this. Do me a favor. Can you keep Bijan Robinson away from the Eagles? <laughs> Last year, <laughs> they went for 250 on the ground against the Giants twice with Miles Sanders, with Jalen Hurts, that offensive line. You put Bijan Robinson with that group? My gosh, I don't know how you stop that offense. And I know Howie Roseman doesn't pick running backs. I get all that. But I could just, as an opponent of that team that has to watch them twice a year and, and play against them, oh, man, that is scary to think about. Just that is that is super scary to think about. I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish that upon you. Um, <laughs> I, I don't think they'll do it, but yeah, it is it is fascinating to watch. If it was a video game, yeah. If you put Bijan Robinson on that team doing the stuff that they do, it certainly would be problematic. Bucky, good stuff, man. It's, it's always like watching on TV. We're in the you know end stretch here. Enjoy it. We enjoy your work. We'll talk to you soon, all right, bud? Hey man, thank you. Appreciate it. Bucky you. Brooks, John Soto Podcast. We'll see everybody next time. Your credit card should match your lifestyle. At Kemba Financial Credit Union, choose a card with benefits that work for you. For a limited time, all cards have 2% cash back on purchases and 0% interest on balance transfers for a year. Apply at Kemba.org. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection, and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. 